Good morning, church. This morning we're going to concentrate on communion, communion service this morning, with the uh, elements set before us. Um, And so my first question is, what is communion? We talk about communion, we talk about the word, but what does it mean? Well, I found a really good quote from Charles Spurgeon, who was a 19th century preacher, one of the greatest preachers of his his age. And he says this, he says, The word communion breaks up easily into union, and its prefix, com, which means with. So it's union with. We must therefore first enjoy union with Christ and with his church or else we cannot enjoy communion. Union lies at the basis of communion. We must be one with Christ in heart and soul and life, baptised into his death, made alive by his life and so brought to be members of his body, one with the whole church of which he is the head. We cannot have communion with Christ until we are in union with him. And we cannot have communion with the church until we are in vital communion with it. So as we look at communion this morning, um, let's, let's just pray and ask God to give us insight and wisdom. Lord, we thank you that in your wisdom... You left this feast as a memorial to remind us, to challenge us, in some ways, Lord, to guide us. And we pray this morning that as we look at communion and its implications for us, that you will speak to our hearts, that you'll give us wisdom and understanding so that we might grow in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we have the next slide, please? The Bible reading I want to use this morning is taken from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 14. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to that, or it is up on the screen. I apologise that the wording's a little bit small, but I tried to fit it all on one slide. (laughs) So it says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread which we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do, not, do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Interesting Um, passage actually Uh, there's a lot in there so 
communion. Communion, firstly, is symbolic of a fellowship with Christ. In fact, the whole of the communion meal is symbolic. Uh, It's a symbolism uh, that we share in and that, that speaks to us. So, set before us this morning is a symbolic meal consisting of bread and wine or juice. I say symbolic for it represents the cost of the purchase of our salvation. We come realising we are guilty in sin of sin, but Christ's broken body represented in the bread and his lifeblood shed for us on the cross, represented by the wine, were given for our salvation. Because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, by faith we can accept his offer of salvation and be declared righteous and acceptable to a holy God. So before us we have the symbol of bread, the symbol of the wine, speaks to us of what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us. And because of that, because of Christ's death, we are, if we accept Christ and what he's done for us, we are declared righteous before a holy God. In some ways, this transaction between uh, of Christ's life for my life is a personal thing. Nobody can do it for me. Nobody can accept Christ on my behalf. It's something that I have to do. I have to make the choice to take Christ at his word or ignore his offer of salvation. This table set before us is is his great sacrifice. Jesus has offered his life to us. He's offered his life to you. The question is, will you accept it? He doesn't ask us to bring anything. There's no way that we can pay for our salvation. We can't in a sense, bring blood. We can't even bring feelings of guilt. Everything we need is here, freely given by the grace of God. It's simply our part to come and partake in it. This meal here is a symbol of a transaction already made between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus. His life for yours. So in this sense, communion is a very personal thing. You come as an individual, you take the bread and the wine, and you eat it. It enters your body, it becomes part of you, as Jesus is part of you, and will be for eternity. And so, in this sense, taking communion is a very personal thing. But in another sense, communion is a sharing thing. Because not only do we come as individuals, but become 
corporately as the church of God. We come together to share in this same table. We share the elements of wine and bread. We share in remembering Jesus' death on the cross. And so as we take the elements together, we encourage one another. Yet we need to be careful how we come to this table. Paul warns the Corinthians that they cannot participate in communion at the same time as being involved in sin. The sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. This meal that we are invited to this morning is a covenant meal. It speaks of the new covenant between Jesus and his followers. It's a covenant ratified in his blood. It establishes a relationship between the believer and Christ. Much the same way as marriage between a husband and wife. Under the marriage covenant, you can't have two husbands or two wives. So you cannot be in covenant with Christ and with that which is um, demonic or sinful. Christ demands our loyalty. You cannot toy with deliberate sin and maintain a right relationship with Christ at the same time. And I talk here of deliberate sin. Um, There are myriad ways in which we fall short of the standard that Christ would like of us. And we need to deal with those when those sins, those shortcomings, those failures, as we become aware of them. But what I really want to talk about this morning is not those sins, but the, the deliberate sins where we choose to do wrong and still expect to have a relationship with Christ. You cannot toy with deliberate sin and at the same time maintain a right relationship with Christ. You ought not to come to this table if you are out of relationship with Christ because of deliberate sin. That is why Paul urges people to examine themselves before partaking of communion. If you are aware of sin in your life, you need to confess it to God Resolve to turn away from your sin and ask for his forgiveness. The encouraging thing is that um, the scriptures say that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So sin doesn't destroy our relationship with Christ forever because there is a way back by confession and repentance. And thus, if we deal with sin, it says we are purified from all unrighteousness and thus purified, we can come together and share in this table. But not only are we a 
a group of people sharing the same uh, elements and the same table uh, as individually or individuals work, living corporately. But there's another sense in which we are part of the church. We are part of the body, part of the family of God. Paul says when he's speaking to the Ephesians, writing to the Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's not so evident when we have the, um, the biscuits all, already broken as we do uh, in the communion table. But in Paul's day, they had one loaf and that loaf was then broken and the pieces distributed to, uh, as part of the communion service. And it's that picture of one loaf that I want to... Um, to conjure up in your minds this morning. We are one life. We are one body. We are the family of God. So how do we keep unity in the bond of peace? Well, we can uh, do our best not to be contentious or picky or judgmental of others, but rather let us extend grace to one another Realising that all, we are all sinners, saved by the same grace. Let us find ways of encouraging one another and helping one another as we journey, uh, in Bunyan's words, to the celestial city. Let us maintain unity by being compassionate, showing loving care and extending helpful hands to fellow p- pilgrims. The psalmist writes how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We live corporately. We live as part of the family of God. And so not only do we take the communion for ourselves, but as this, we share in communion, we need to be thinking of one another. Um, and not just for this morning, but in the weeks ahead, in the, in the weekdays, let us remember one another and think about each other. Let me close just with another quote from Spurgeon. Here in the common reception of the one loaf, we bear witness that we are one. And in the actual participation of all the chosen in the one redemption, that unity is in very deed displayed and matured in the most substantial manner. Washed in the one blood, fed on the same loaf, cheered by the same cup, All differences pass away. And we, being many, are one body in Christ and everyone members of another.
My prayer this morning is that Jesus be to you an all-surrounding presence, lighting up the night, perfuming the day, gladdening all places and sanctifying all pursuits. Our beloved Jesus is not a friend for Sundays only, but for weekdays too. He is the inseparable companion of his loving disciples. Those who have had fellowship with his body and his blood at this table may have the Lord as a habitual guest at their own tables. Those who have met the Master in this room may expect to make their homes bright by his royal presence. Let fellowship with Jesus and the elect brotherhood be henceforth the atmosphere of our life and the joy of our existence. This will give us a heaven below and prepare us for a heaven above.